0: It's the ultimate crossover here on Locked On Jaguars. I'm joined by Cody and John in Houston, Locked On Titans, and my boy Tyler Rowland. You know him because we do this twice a year already, Uh, Locked On Titans, Tyler Rowland. Uh, By the way, I want to thank Tyler for organizing this and putting this together for us to do this uh, all week. Uh, It it was an undertaking that nobody – we all – A little inside of the business, we all had a. uh, every division had to have a captain. So Tyler took that lead role. Tyler, man, thank you, man, for doing this. And thank you all for bending and getting me on on a Sunday because it's very, very difficult for me to do it during the week.
1: No, no, it's no problem at all, and I appreciate everybody coming on. Just want to make sure we get some good content out to these deserving fan bases who, you know, all have some some great fans and show some great passion for their teams. So, just wanted to make sure we could all come together and get that done. And of course, I appreciate all of you guys for being flexible. It, it's difficult as all of our listeners. Probably would know it's difficult to get four or five different adults together to sit down and do something like this at any time, regardless of what it is you're trying to do. So just appreciate everybody, you know, being flexible and, and and making it happen for the listenership and these deserving fan bases. So thanks to you guys as well.
0: No doubt. So throughout the week, what we've done is we've gone over, we focused on one team and we've asked, we had a Q and a basically and talked about what the, what the future holds. And I guess they saved the worst for last. It's almost like you ate your dessert first, you know, (laughs) you you warmed up that little, yeah, you warmed up that little TV dinner. And then the first thing you ate is the brownie. Now you got to eat the corn. You know what I'm saying? You got to eat the vegetables now. And that's what the Jack was have been. And it's unfortunate. And it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm cracking a joke about it, but it's not really a joking matter in terms of, uh, Outside of 2017, the last eight years, this fan base hasn't had a lot uh, to really, really look forward to uh, when it comes to football. And it got worse when there was. it was just announced that there was a second game that's going to London. The Jags have played a game in London every year for like the last four years. And now they're going to have two games in London. And I know there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not that means the team will eventually move. It won't. Nobody's going to London permanently. Uh, it's just that it, it. It. I'm going to explain it right now. It's not fan related. It is not because they don't put enough people in the stands. Because if you look at the the statistics, they actually do put. They're probably in the middle of the road in terms of fans actually buying tickets and going to the game. This is about Fortune 500 companies not really being in Jacksonville and sponsoring the Jaguars. So what happens is, every game that they play in London, they create revenue that looks like two and a half games that they would play at home. So the two games that they play on the road or in London will equate to maybe like four and a half, almost five times the revenue that they would get. If they played those two games in Jacksonville and that revenue is something that they feel that they need in order until Jacksonville builds up what they're, they're working on right now, which is a Nashville type downtown and, uh, If you've been to Philadelphia, you've seen uh, Xfinity Live and all of that stuff that's right in the parking lot. They have something here called the Lot J Project. That's what they're doing. So uh, to get the narrative straight, this is not because fans don't buy tickets to go to the game, and I want that to be very, very clear when I talk about this. But I know you guys have seen it and and heard it and probably thought that this means that, oh, the city isn't viable uh, from a fan perspective or support. That's not that's not the case. Give me your give me your guys' uh, take on what you thought it meant.
1: Well, of course, at first you 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 think it's you know a soft the beginning of a soft move over to London, but obviously a lot of the things you mentioned and a lot of the you know statements coming out of the organization would say that's that's not the case. And you're right about the revenue. Uh, They get so much more revenue from one game over there than they do at home. And that's not, you know, hating on anybody from Jacksonville. It's just, you know, such a big event over there because of the circumstances that that's going to be the case. You're pulling in everybody from all over Europe that wants to come see an NFL game. So I don't think it's a bad idea to have one team that maybe plays over there a little bit more to try to keep, you know, I guess that can't hurt for, for business for the Jaguars. Just want to say that, you know, I I agree with what you're saying. I don't think they're moving the team. But I do think that some of the – I guess some of the fans are – I understand if some of the fans are upset about that because that's less they can see their team. And I do wonder how it's going to hurt free agency with everything that happened with Tom Coughlin and all the player grievances. And now you have to play multiple games and stay over in a different country with, you know, stiffer taxes and I wonder how that affects free agency so although they're maybe not moving to London and and that's the most negative aspect of that narrative how do you feel about how it impacts I guess like free agency and and the fan base and how they feel How how is the impact there with this news
0: I think it I think it will have an effect you've seen players around the league talking about it and you know they don't like you know people think okay it's a free trip to London to a millionaire, that doesn't mean anything because they can go to London whenever they feel like it. These guys take private planes to Bora Bora. You know what I'm saying? So they, they're not worried about uh, something that would equate to a $10,000 vacation. They're more concerned about money that they're losing from a tax perspective. A lot of One of the things that Tennessee, Texas, Florida, state of Washington, one of the things that they do when they talk about free agency is – they tell these guys, you're going to save six and a half percent on, there's no state taxes. You go to this place, you're going to be paying paying state taxes. So, you know, the money isn't equal, you know, and and folks will go, uh, that ain't a tremendous amount of money. But when you're talking about a $50 million guarantee, that is a tremendous That's, you know, six and a half percent of 50 million is like 3.25 million. So that's a lot of money when you think about guys who have a very short span to make money and um, and for their future and and create generational wealth. So one of the things that they have as an advantage here is that they talk about the fact that there's no state taxes and the weather and all that stuff. You give that up. You're giving up 25% of that when you go play uh, somewhere else. And uh, I I do know that they've often talked about uh, this with free agents. Look, you get eight home games with no state taxes, and then you go to Tennessee and you go to Houston, no state taxes. So that's 10 of your six games where you're not paying state taxes. Not true when you get those games up to London. And it's just – to me, it's it's necessary, and I've grown to understand that. I think the messaging has been awful because it appears that they're saying that Jacksonville as a whole, as a city, and the fans and the support and all of this stuff, it came out as if it's on the fan base, and it's not on the fan base. They have a tremendous amount of fan support in the city, and I want to make that clear to everyone. It's—it's it's, This is a corporate issue, and uh, Jacksonville has to do a better job of drawing more corporate people uh, that want to be here in this city that that will buy and and pay for sponsorship fees uh, to the Jaguars.
2: Hey, I just think it's money. You know, I mean, like like you guys said, it. you know, it's a big event when you go over there. Those guys don't get football regularly, and they kind of step outside of what the NFL does. Football in general, look at how successful the XFL yesterday was. They generated more money in one day than the AAF did for, I don't know how many games they had, but football when done properly. It's going to generate money no matter where it's at because people want to get out with their family. People want to go out and experience what the Americans experience Saturdays and Sundays. So I don't see any NFL team moving to London across the pond at all. There's too much involved. But the amount of money that can be made with those two games or however it, however much it'll expand to, it's unprecedented.
0: Yeah, and I did a podcast last week. That's a great point, by the way. I did a podcast last week saying that the Jaguars have been bad at football, but ironically, they actually need to get back to and put the focus on what they've actually been bad at, and that's football because in the past, they've been very, very good at non-football-related stuff. Like – Selling T-shirts game with Not on that. <laughs> not not – no doubt about it. Garden shoe. Uh, there's a dog park at the the stadium here. Uh, They have swimming pools. I don't know if you guys have been here. There are two swimming pools in the the north end zone area. They have cabanas. They have a party that lasts three hours after the game for people that buy those tickets. They have the largest scoreboards. I don't know if you guys know this. The scoreboards in, in both end zones are actually longer than the football field itself. It's unbelievable. They got the largest scoreboards in the world there are no scoreboard big so they've done game day experience type stuff and and, and they have a great fan group in the Bulls city brigade in the Teal street hooligans you know a couple of fan groups here so they have tremendous support off the field on the field though and this is the, the issue that i take with uh the ownership i do believe that if they're better on the field all of those other things will improve not only will uh, the ticket be a hotter ticket, but I think you'll get corporate people to jump on, even if it's not just local people here. Um, they've been terrible. They've won. F- they have four winning seasons in 25 years. I do think if they improve on the field, that they'll improve off the field. That's my take on it. But on the field right now, man, it, it, it's pretty much been a dumpster fire, and the fans were already pissed off because they didn't make a whole bunch of changes. The fans wanted to rip this thing apart and just start over with somebody fresh, the way Carolina did with Matt Rule. They didn't do that here. They kept Doug Marone. They kept Dave Caldwell as the GM. The only thing that they did was get rid of Tom Coughlin, who uh, was a bit of a tyrant and a bit of an old school guy who didn't really understand the way things work, you know, in today's NFL. So, uh, not a lot of change. Not a lot of change. So what I hear, uh, it, like last year, I heard people complaining about Mike v- Vrabel, and, and this year I hear people complaining like about Bill O'Brien. I'm like, man, please, those are not big problems compared to what we have here in Jacksonville.
1: If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On is a great way for your local business to reach passionate fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, and not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants a way to connect with Titans fans and a predominantly male audience, that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get a team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. What would you be changing then on the field? You talk about on the field, and I agree with you. If you get things right on the field, everything else always seems to be in place like you said throughout the crossover. Winning kind of cures everything. So, What what changes do you want to see made on the field? Uh, Maybe from even if it's coaches or a personnel standpoint, what kind of changes are you looking for them to make to turn things around pretty quickly?
0: Well, first of all, we have to figure out what Jaguar football is. We know what Titan football is. We're somehow, with the identity of Deshaun Watson, figuring out what Texans football is. But when you think about football at other places, the Patriot way, you know, the Giants have always been built on defensive line play, regardless of who. Or pass rush, regardless of who the coach was, and it spans over decades. You think about Green Bay. You think about those places that have Baltimore. Every Baltimore team. Am I lying when I tell you that every single Baltimore or Pittsburgh team over the last or technical, they they almost personify the city and personify who they are as a city. Now Gardner Minshew may. Be the guy that has a lot to do with that move forward. I don't want to anoint him. But there has to be an identity with what Jaguar football is. This team had a record. This is a record, by the way. They had five top five picks in a row. I'm going to name them for you. Luke Joker was the first guy in, 2000, uh, I believe, 2013, out of the league. Dante Fowler. He's no longer a Jaguar. They got like a third-round pick for him when they traded him to Los Angeles. Blake Bortles, no longer with the team, and and is is nothing more than a career backup. Jalen Ramsey, no longer with the team, even though the team got two first-round picks, a third and a fourth for him. Leonard Fournette, whose future is in doubt with the team, maybe even this year, uh, because recently he took all Jaguars-related stuff off of his Instagram, but they're not going to exercise his fifty-year option, and most people think after if they keep him this year, they'll move on after this year. Even though he's played pretty well, that's five in a row that they've had. Name another team that has done that and has that and has been successful yet. Still, the GM that made those picks is still here.
2: Can't really name it. You can't. You can't. I mean, it's just. I mean, it is what it is. They're not they're drafting quality guys when you mentioned Dante Fowler, but they're not retaining them. Or you may draft guys that you may that you may be high on, but they don't pan out to be as good as you would have would would have wanted. Uh that's a problem for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think I hate to call it a controversy because I don't think it's controversial, but the decision on who you rock with next season at quarterback. Is one that you just really I don't I don't want that to come down to training camp who outplays the other one in training camp that needs to be a definitive decision before offseason before the preseason starts and I think and correct me if I'm wrong with I think you go with gonna miss you
0: well that that's a very good point and uh, it is the first thing that's going to have to be uh, addressed some people believe that there will be teams uh, that will make a play for Nick Foles in the offseason, that there will be teams that will make a play for him, even if the Jaguars have to actually give up. sort of Brock Osweiler type of deal. They have to give up something. The team has basically said it's going to be a competition, but when you look at everything around it, you don't feel like it's going to be much of a competition. Gardner had a very big presence down with the Super Bowl they hired Jay Gruden as the offensive coordinator. Jay loves guys like that. You know, think about Andy Dalton. You think about Colt McCoy. And you think about the type of quarterbacks that he's, he's had in Washington. You don't come into this league as a rookie, whether you're a first- or a sixth-round pick, and and go five and six, basically. It's what Gardner did. He went five and six, and he, he, he won rookie of the week like seven or eight times, but for some reason didn't win rookie of the year offensively. So he's a he's a good player. I don't know that he's a franchise quarterback. I don't know that he's a franchise quarterback. I think it's too early to say that, but he's a very, very good player at a position where all you need, you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, all you need is a guy that's competent and is a good player and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. The thing about him, he's a gamer. He's a clutch. And he does personified with this city. People here love him. Uh, With Nick Foles, I think the thing is you can't – this kind of guy that won the Super Bowl MVP, but this team isn't really built up like the Eagles were. The the Eagles had a great offensive line, and he was really, really in tune, and he got hot, and he was really, really in tune with the culture staff because of his relationship with – we don't have that here. You know, so uh, they made it very clear that Gardner was the best player – for the way that this team is constructed because they couldn't block people. And Gardner has a getaway car. He can he can escape, he can scramble, and he can make those plays. So um, moving forward, you're right. I, I think even if they say it's a competition, we'll see if, if someone comes up to them during the draft or during free agency that gets hungry for a quarterback. Now, you made a good point, and, I, and I'll say this. If it actually does come down to who looks better in training camp, then Nick Foles is going to be the starter because I was there last year, every single practice, Nick Foles looked head and shoulders uh, above Gardner Minshew in practice. Gardner's not that type of guy that's going to really impress you in a practice setting. He's going to impress you more in games.
3: But um, but Tony, let me ask you this. I mean, you said that Nick Foles Foles looked really, really good in in training camp, but It's kind of hard to judge him off of the one season, off his first season in Jacksonville, just due to the just due to the fact that in the very first game of the season, what was it? The very first drive, he 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 got hurt and missed majority, if not all of the season. I believe he only played what three games after he came back from that um, devastating from that devastating injury. So, moving forward, do you would you like to see? The Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars give Nick Foles at least one more chance, knowing that because he got hurt in the very first game in the fourth in the first quarter, you truly could not say you saw the best of Nick Foles, or do you just want them to move on with with Gardner?
0: Well, I I've been hesitant to say what I want them to do because it, it, it tears at you when you say what I want them to do. I, I try not to root for the team and I try to be very honest and I try to be really, really subjective when it comes to it. But um, here's what happened to recap exactly what you said. Foles, it wasn't the first drive, but it was the first quarter, the first game against the Chiefs. And it was uh, Chris Jones. Chris Jones drove him into the ground on a, on a play that was actually a touchdown pass. He threw a 47 yard touchdown to DJ Chark mm-hmm. That, it really, really dropped into Chalk's belly in the first quarter against the Chiefs, and he was driven into the ground, and he fractured his clavicle. So in the press box, there was a collective, what in the hell? Because most people felt like our season's over because Gardner looked like trash in the preseason. All of a sudden, this kid comes in, and so the first couple of games, you're like, okay, people just aren't ready for him. They didn't game plan for him. That's why he's having a success. And he had a couple of bad games, and then people were like, we can't wait The Foles comes back. As soon as Nick Foles was healthy, they inserted him back into the lineup. The first chance that they got after the bye week. Mm-hmm. And that was based on the fact that they had given him $50 million in guarantees. It was based on the fact that in the preseason, it, it was lights out. In practice, we used to go, wow, when we watched him throw. And the reason why is many, most people believe it was because we watched Blake Bortles basically throw balls that look like somebody punting them for five years. And then you get a guy in here throwing spirals who had just won a Super Bowl. And 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 you're like, wow. So we're all retrospectively looking at that and saying, was he really that great or was he just so much better than Blake and so much better than what we were used to? We overvalued it. So Foles comes back and when he comes back, the offensive line is so bad and so poor that he looked awful. He looked terrible, man. They lost a couple of games. They had three turnovers in the first quarter in a game, and then Gardner Minshew comes into the game, and he rallies the team. He gets them within the score. So I think what has happened with Foles is it it may be something that went on and the circumstances that you described were right, and and what I've just laid out was right, and it was unfair. But he's kind of lost the team, man. To me, he's lost the team. He's lost the locker room. He was giving speeches about – he was talking like a politician who has four years to get this right. And where he missed it in his messaging is you don't have that long. You have to play like your hair's on fire. You have to really come out here and do something for this team because this fan base doesn't have four years. They don't have – they don't want to hear anything about the future. They don't want to hear anything about – changing the culture they want instant results and that's what gardner gave them last year because they've had this hangover they've won they had four wedding seasons in 25 years so the last thing you want is some dude standing up on the podium saying it's not that bad i got a beautiful wife and a family at home and i'll go home and hug and kiss my wife they don't want to hear that crap you know what they want to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, no they want to hear we're gonna fix this we're gonna get something done we're gonna do it now and gardner Minshew came in uh as a guy who no one thought could do anything. He was a six-round pick. He went to four colleges, by the way. He almost didn't even play for Washington State. He was going to be a grad assistant/slash coach at Alabama when he left Coastal Carolina or wherever the hell he was. He was bouncing around from place to place. This kid came in here and captivated the hearts of the city and said, Screw that, we're going to do it now. We're going to do it today. And I mind you now, he won the last game of the season. The Jaguars could have been picking fourth or fifth in the draft. He went and won the game, and they're picking ninth <laughs> because that, that's who he is. And that's what he is. And people were like, we're cool with that. So I don't know if, if, if Nick Foles could ever get this city back. If he does, he has to change his messaging. I understand what he was trying to do and trying to say. But he has to understand where he is. You know what I'm saying? Like a preacher in Houston in the fifth ward doesn't preach the same way a preacher, even though they have the same message, doesn't preach as the same as a guy in South Dakota. It's different than the fifth ward. You know what I'm talking about, Cody. <laughs> you you, you got to talk to those people. And I think that that's the message that got lost with Nick Foles. And I don't know if at this point he can get it back.
2: I absolutely don't think he can get it back because one thing football fans, One thing we love as fans or in the organization, we love electricity. We love the light being flicked on. We love excitement. We love somebody that can galvanize uh, a white guy, a black guy, and Hispanic all together on Sundays and say, well, you know what? I believe in a guy. Nick Foles does not have that. Not here in Jacksonville. Maybe in Philly, yeah, because you pulled out the Philly special and brought Philly the first Super Bowl, and how long? And then you beat the team that initially beat you years back when you had McNabb and To. So yeah, you were a staple for Philly until Carson Wentz came back. But there's a reason why. Reason why when Carson Wentz came back, where you were, where you were, and now, yes, he's going to look much better in preseason. Yes, he's going to give you the prototypical professional. Answers when you ask him questions about the future and what it holds. But starting to miss you just does something that Nick Foles doesn't do. And people will get caught up in that. I, I'm caught up in it because now I believe he should be the starter going into the next season. Like you said, it you guys went from one pick to another pick just because he does not want to lose. And that's very important. Another important thing is what are you going to do with Leonard Fournette and his future with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because I believe he's been – under,
0: underwhelming since his arrival in the league. Alright, so with Leonard, the dude had like 80 receptions last year. Uh, he, I think he had like twelve, thirteen hundred 1,300 yards. Uh, he had a 190-yard game or a 200-yard game. He's rushed for over 1,000 yards two of his first three years. If you look back at Derrick Henry, and I love Derrick Henry, he's actually a distant cousin to my wife who's in the other room. And uh, he's from a place called Eulie, which is 25 miles north of where I'm sitting right now, here in Jacksonville. Eulie's own. Henry. Yeah, I love Derrick Henry. The thing is, if you look at Derrick Henry's first two seasons, Leonard Fournette's rookie year, he rushed for more yards in that one year than Derrick Henry did those first two. So, I, I think what happened with Leonard is Leonard, the expectations was that he was going to be It's almost equivalent to Herschel Walker. He had a better college career than he did as an NFL player. Herschel Walker's career in the NFL wasn't bad. It's just that Herschel Walker is like the greatest college football player ever to most people, uh, at least from people that's from the South. And he didn't really live up to it in the NFL. I think the expectation level is the same with Leonard Fournette. We got to remember, I just said the offensive line was terrible. So if the offensive line is terrible, and this – Dude still rushes for 1,200 yards and catches 80 balls. What's, don't we – do we make the connect that if he's in a different situation with a better quarterback, with a better offensive line, what the hell would he do if he had all of that stuff working out and more stability in the franchise? I think when people watch him, they get mad because he he's not Christian McCaffrey and he doesn't make people miss. You got to make nobody miss. The dude is 225 pounds, and, and for the first two years of his career was playing against stacked boxes because nobody believed that Blake Borders could throw a rock in the ocean. Last year, when they started to have a little bit of success, he actually did play better. Leonard Fournette isn't a bust by uh, regular NFL standards. He's just a bust because he was the fourth overall pick. This organization uh, needed uh, – They thought they did not need a quarterback, and they passed up Patrick Mahomes, and they passed up Deshaun Watson to take Leonard Fournette. And the fans around here will not let them forget that that happened. And I try to remind people daily, 49ers made the Super Bowl this year. You know what they did? They took Solomon Thomas. They also passed up Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and they also passed up Patrick Mahomes. And, in fact, in that draft, the 49ers took Solomon Thomas, and then with their second first-round pick in the – that they got because they were able to maneuver. Because the they they are the ones that traded the pick to the Bears when the Bears took Trubisky. They took the Foster, the linebacker from Alabama. He ain't there no more either. So they totally whiffed on that first round draft in 2017, and they still ended up in the Super Bowl this year, and they lost to a quarterback that's an MVP. Super Bowl MVP that they passed up they took Solomon Thomas and did not take Patrick Mahomes that they did not at that time have Jimmy Garoppolo so nobody gives them grief about that but the Jaguars are going to give Leonard Fournette and the the Jaguar fans are going to give Fournette and they're going to give the organization grief about Leonard Fournette because they did not take Patrick Mahomes and they did not take Deshaun Watson because they we're in bed and we're in love with Blake Borders or the thought that Borders could turn out to be something that we all know that he couldn't be. So that's the thing, man. It's like Fournette hasn't been as bad as people think. And if he is the free agent market and goes to a winning team, people are going to be sorry.
1: All right, my my last question for you here before we get into – I guess maybe your prediction for 2020 is we've talked a lot about the quarterback position and you mentioned Leonard Fournette and what he might be able to do with a better cast around him. How do they improve this cast on offense going forward? What do you want to see them? You want to see them spend big money in free agency on wide receivers or a tight end, or w- would you like to see them attack that in the draft or both? How do you think they improve that cast around Minshew or, cause I, I think Minshew should be the guy As well, he's got magic about him that that they got to utilize. So uh, how do you kind of support that, you know, Leonard fournette garner Minshew duo through free agency in the draft? How do you see them attacking?
0: That's a great question, and it's one that I asked Dave Caldwell, who I talk to regularly.
1: Yes, inside information.
0: Yeah, people pretty much assume that they have one year to get this right because Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone were almost – uh, most people thought that they wouldn't be retained and part of the angst of the fan base as they were, and they're blaming everything on Tom Coughlin sort of as he he was pushed out. So here's the thing. I asked Dave Caldwell, do you do what's right for the franchise? The way the Texans did when they drafted Jeffrey Simmons, even though he was hurt, but long-term they knew it would be great. Do you do what's right by the franchise or do you do what helps you keep your job? That means – do you go out and get guys that'll help you win right now? That get that because they'll give you an extension, or do you do the right thing infrastructure wise for the franchise? Dave told me that's going to be on him, not Doug. He said I'll have to make those choices. I have to make those decisions. So if you make those decisions, what you'll do is you 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 ask where's the beef? They couldn't stop the run last year. They're, I think they're targeting Derek Brown or Javon Kenlaw, the big defensive tackles uh, out of the SEC. I think with their second first-round pick, they need to be looking at a, a left tackle and try to move Cam Robinson in the guard because he hasn't really, really played well. they got to improve the line. Uh, they may do it in free agency with Brandon Scherf. Now that they've hired Jay Gruden, Brandon Scherf, if the Redskins let him become a free agent, maybe they re- they sign him and make him a right guard. They really have to improve uh, inside-out. they got to get stronger on both lines of scrimmage. And then... Add to the guys that they have. The one thing that Joe had is a dynamic tight end. Uh, I told Tom Coughlin four years ago he should have drafted George Kittle at a charity event. He looked at me and walked away. George Kittle's the best tight end in the NFL. They didn't do it. So the thing is, is this team has tried to get a tight end. The tight end is, is a buddy. He's the buddy of a quarterback, especially a young quarterback. They got to get show up the tight end, show up the infrastructure on this team. It's not going to look sexy. Because right now they've had the worst offseason PR-wise that I can remember this franchise ever happened. So to think that you're going to go in the free agency in the draft and all you're going to do is address unsexy positions doesn't really help your situation. But to me, that's exactly what they have to do. DJ Chark played in the Pro Bowl and caught a touchdown. So oh, they got an alpha. From this game. Yeah. yeah
1: From, Ryan From Ryan Tannehill. From Ryan Tannehill.
0: Yeah. He did. So they got an alpha wide receiver. They have to really focus on the infrastructure in this team and start replay. They got extra picks because of the Jalen Ramsey deal. So that's what they got to do, man. But they also have to have the discipline to answer your question, to do what's right for the infrastructure and the future of the franchise and not do the sexy thing that wins the press conferences and saves you a job and gets your contract to snitching.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment of where they need to go from here. So if they're able to do those things and I guess kind of round us out for, you know, today's edition of the uh, crossover event, what what's your prediction for this team going forward into 2020? Do you see them bouncing back? And well, what do you think is going to happen?
0: It's hard for me to say bounce back because their back has always been uh, the wrong side of everything. Four win, four winning seasons in 25 years. What I think is, they'll play with pride. They'll 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 have individual performers that are really really well. I hate to be negative, but I, I don't think it's going to be a winning season for Jacksonville. When you think about the division, if the Colts had a quarterback and the way Deshaun Watson has played in, in Houston, and and the way Tennessee looks, and they'll be able to retain some people. The first thing they have to do is win the division, and I think that's an uphill battle at this point. Um, I don't think they they have a chance to win the division. If you can't win the division, you can't make the playoffs. So uh, that being said, I think it's going to be another down season for Jacksonville. It's going to be a situation where maybe in the offseason there are wholesale changes everywhere, and they'll be looking to reboot the franchise.
2: I will say this before we kind of get out of here. The tools and talent. There's talent in Jacksonville. Uh, I like DJ Chalk, and I think with a more consistent quarterback over the course of sixteen games, uh, he can be what Allen Robinson was, or he can be what he, like those years where you had two good receivers that are no longer there. That's what talk can be, uh, and I and I like what Fournette can do. I don't. I I would never see him as a top five pure running back. He may have a top five season, but I don't think he's going to be a top five running back. But if you can fix that offensive line and really get some good inside linemen, get some guards in there that can do what they need to do for him, then we can see more consistent play. Because my biggest issue with Fournette is as big as he is, as strong as he is, what was it, three touchdowns last season? Yeah. something. Like yeah, it was they, very, they, very they, low. And I don't you know, like
0: it. Yeah, the team was awful in the red zone. He's good inside the five-yard line. It's just the team was awful in the red zone. And to your point, Cody, and you'll know this uh, straight up, they traded a fifth-round pick for Carlos Hyde at the trade deadline last year, and then Carlos Hyde got here and looked like a bum. Carlos Hyde went to Houston and had a very good year to the point where even John said, he, hey, we need to make him a priority. We need to re-sign Carlos Hyde. That tells you right there that if a guy like Fournette can get 1,200, 1,300 yards and catch 80 balls for Jacksonville behind this line, what could he do in a different situation? So I think Leonard Fournette is a very, very good player. I just think that he's been put in a – he'll never – it's almost like we were talking about with with you, uh, Tyler, about uh, the receiver Davis. You'll never get over the fact that he was a top five pick he'll never get over he'll never live that and he'll never get over the fact that he was picked with Watson and, and and Mahomes on the board. That that'll never end for him. But when you really really look at him, he's not been that bad of a football player. He's had 2000-yard seasons in 3 years and the one year that he didn't, he tore his hamstring in the first game and it missed like 7 weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's Leonard Fournette. that. I mean, he's a real football player. All right, so this was the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars edition of the Ultimate Crossover, the AFC South Ultimate Crossover. Uh, Cody Davis, Tyler Rowland, and my man John Hickman also in Houston with uh, Cody Davis. Uh, It's been fun. We talk to these guys twice a year during the season, so you're very, very familiar with them. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It's Tony Wiggins with Locked On Jaguars.